Let's go to Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, thank you for this time that we can just gather as a church family. We pray uh, thanking you for this time of worship. And we pray hoping and, 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 and hoping that, that you will change us through your word and uh, this, this final beautiful chapter in the gospel of John. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Have you ever had one of those days in your life that just changed everything? One of those days that just changed everything. I had one of these days about 11 years ago. I was just getting to know my wife, Megan, at the time, and we went for a walk, and we were enjoying each other's company, and so we kept walking and kept walking until we came across a small lake. And at that lake, we found some stone steps, and we sat down, and we just talked for hours. And as we were talking, I was realizing, she's the one. And I remember thinking, wow, (laughs) this is really going to change everything for me. Have you ever had one of those days in your life where it just changed everything? We only have a few of them. But if you had one of those days that even in the moment, you step back and thought, this day, this moment right here, right now, is just going to change everything for me. As we come to John chapter 21, this is that day in the life of one of Jesus' disciples named Peter. This chapter, John 21, is a story of two main characters, Jesus and Peter. Jesus has just been resurrected, and Peter is going to encounter the resurrected Jesus. It's two scenes and one day that are gonna, it's going to change the life of Peter forever. After this day, nothing in Peter's life is ever going to be the same again. For Peter, this day takes place in his old hometown along the Sea of Galilee. That's the picture we're looking at this morning, the Sea of Galilee. And it's there because Jesus had told his disciples, after I'm resurrected, meet me back there. Meet me at the Sea of Galilee. And so as we turn to John chapter 21 and start today, that's where we find Peter and the other disciples. They're back at the Sea of Galilee. They're waiting as they were instructed to do so for the resurrected Lord. Let's start in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened in this way. Simon Peter... Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathanael from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. In Matthew 4, we learned way back at the beginning of these gospels that Jesus found Peter, as a regular everyday fisherman, casting his net into the Sea of Galilee. Now Peter is back in his hometown, and as he waits for the resurrected Jesus, he's not quite sure what to do with himself. So he goes back to his old way of life, what he's comfortable with. He goes back to his old work. He goes back to fishing. But God has a change in mind for the life of Peter. And so it's by no coincidence that a seasoned veteran fisherman comes up empty. He doesn't catch a single fish. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. 
Just as Mary in John chapter 20 and the two disciples in Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, Jesus is not immediately recognized by his disciples. Jesus was physically, bodily resurrected, but there was something about him that was slightly changed as he was restored, as he was glorified in that resurrected body to where some people didn't quite recognize him at first, just slightly altered. Verse 5, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Peter is desperate for a reason. The last time he and Jesus spoke was before Jesus had died. Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter disagreed with Jesus, which is really always a bad thing to do. He said, no, Lord, I'll stay loyal. I'll stay loyal. And then that very night, Peter had denied, betrayed Jesus three times. In the days since that darkest moment of his life, Peter's heart has been broken by that betrayal. Shame and guilt have consumed him, and now he sees this last chance to talk to Jesus. He's not letting it slip away. And so he jumps out of the boat into the water to make it to his Lord. Verse 8. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal pier already laid uh, and fish placed on it and bread. Peter will have this last conversation with the resurrected Jesus around a charcoal fire. And this location has a lot of significance. A lot of significance. On the night that Jesus had been arrested, Peter had, had kind of trailed behind Jesus as he was taken through Jerusalem. And when Jesus was in trial, the building he was in, Peter stood at the doorway trying to observe, trying to listen. And as he stood there, a servant girl passed by. And John 18, 17 to 18 tells us, she asked Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not, first denial. Now the slaves and the officers were standing there having made a charcoal fire, for it was cold and they were warming themselves, and Peter was also with them. And later we find that Peter denies Jesus for the second and the third times around that same charcoal fire. So where did Peter deny Jesus? Around a charcoal fire. And now where is he going to have this conversation of redemption and restoration? Around a charcoal fire. As Peter sits down, the smell and warmth remind him of that dark day, that dark day where he had betrayed his Lord. It's not a coincidence. Jesus wants him to know, yeah, Peter, this is what we're talking about. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus' three questions correspond to Peter's three denials. For every time that Peter denied and betrayed, Jesus offers redemption because when Jesus forgives, he forgives everything. Three times, the resurrected Jesus asked Peter in slightly different ways to feed my sheep. Jesus is saying, Peter, hey, I don't want you to go back to that old life. I don't want you to go back to that old life of fishing. No, I want to change everything in your life. Jesus had referred to himself as the shepherd during his ministry who watched over his sheep, his followers. And here, he's giving Peter the mission of his life to help Jesus in that shepherding, guiding, leading his people, and leading them as this message and mission of Jesus is taken out into the world. 18. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Stretch out your hands refers to how Peter is going to die. And history shows that that is just what happened. Peter died at the hands of the Romans, crucified as his Lord was with his hands stretched out for his faith. The resurrected Jesus gave Peter this mission to feed his sheep. And this day, this mission is going to change everything in Peter's life. It even is going to cost him his life. Nothing will ever be the same. And so when we look at John 21, we learn that Jesus' resurrection changed everything for Peter. It changed everything in Peter's life. His past, his present, his future At what point, Peter would have expected to have died at old age, watching his children and then their children fish from the shore, but Jesus' resurrection changed everything. And now Jesus gives Peter a mission that will ultimately end in his execution. As Peter waited for the resurrected Jesus in Galilee at the beginning of the chapter, he was ready to return to his old life. But Jesus' resurrection changes everything. And instead of being a fisherman, Peter is given this incredible mission of helping in the church and the message of Jesus. Before Jesus' resurrection, a charcoal fire and three questions ended in the darkest moment of Peter's life. But Jesus' resurrection changes everything. And now a charcoal fire and three questions end in forgiveness and restoration. Before Jesus' resurrection, Peter had been struggling with shame and guilt from denying his Lord, but Jesus' resurrection changes everything, and now he finds redemption. Have you ever had one of those days in your life where you just stepped back and thought, wow, this day is going to change everything? That was this day for Peter. Peter. 
That was this day. Jesus' resurrection changed everything in Peter's life. And it should change everything in ours. Jesus' resurrection changes everything. Now, we talk about Jesus' resurrection every year at Easter. But even then, how often do we really contemplate the difference that Jesus' resurrection makes in our life? Two years ago, I woke up on Easter morning and was at church before 7. After helping with our three services, we then had an a Easter egg hunt here at the church that lasted all all afternoon. I got home around 6.30. We had a, a big family dinner and a, a family Easter egg hunt. I snuck some candy, probably more than I should, before bed. And I'm laying in bed, and I'm awake, about to fall asleep on the night of Easter. And I'm laying there thinking, wow, I, I don't think I contemplated for five minutes the significance of Jesus' resurrection in my life on Easter The busyness just got in the way. The busyness of Easter often comes and goes with us thinking about bunnies and eggs and family dinners more than the earth-shattering difference the resurrection actually makes in our lives. John 21 tells us Jesus' resurrection changed everything in Peter's life. But how does the resurrection change everything in ours Too many of us have never really asked, not even on Easter, why does Jesus' resurrection matter? So let's ask that question. Let's explore that question today for a bit. What difference does Jesus' resurrection really make in our lives? We're going to approach this answer in in three ways. The first is that Jesus' resurrection changes everything about who we've been in the past. Without Christ's death and resurrection, Colossians 1.21 tells us, we were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Who we have been is separated from God because of the wrong that we have done in life. Now, if you've been a Christian for a bit, you've heard that it's Jesus' death that justifies our sin, declaring us righteous, restoring that separation, restoring that relationship with God. But Scripture tells us that we're justified also by his resurrection. 1 Corinthians fifteen seventeen says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and, your sin, and you are still in your sins. Romans 4.25 says he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Raised to life for our justification. Jesus' death and resurrection together, not just one of the events, declares there is no penalty left to pay for sin, no wrath of God left to bear, no guilt left to be punished. For some of us, we might feel like we've done too much to be forgiven by God. But the resurrection changes who we have been. Years ago, I was on staff at a church, and and right in the middle of the worship service, I had to sneak out uh, in the hall because I had had too much coffee to drink before I went up to speak. And there, all alone in the hall, everyone was in worship, and all alone in the hall was one guy. He was this tall, uh, strong-looking guy, tattoos covering his arms, a sleeveless shirt. I mean, he was, he was a tough guy, but he was visibly nervous. 
He was pacing the hall, eating donuts left and right, pulling at his hair. So I went up and struck a conversation up with him. And after a bit, I invited him to come back in the worship service with me. This was his answer. He looked down at the floor and he said, I can't. I can't go in there. God won't have me. I've done too much. Maybe that's you. Maybe you think your past is just too much for God to forgive, to forgive who you've been. But the resurrection changes everything. Look at that special day in the life of Peter. Look at Peter. He denied Jesus three times. Over and over again, he denied Jesus. And three times, Jesus forgave him. No matter how many times you feel like you've let God down, he's there to offer redemption. And did Peter have to do anything to earn Jesus' forgiveness? No. Jesus just asked, do you love me? And if you think your past is too much for God to forgive, it isn't. We have been enemies of God, but now if we believe in him by Jesus' death and his resurrection, and his resurrection, we are justified. Jesus' resurrection changes everything about who we've been in the past. Second, Jesus' resurrection changes everything because it changes how we live in the present. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, which is a just a great passage about the resurrection. 15 verses 20 to 21. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits. It's kind of an odd word. Your spell check won't like it. It's the first fruits, meaning that it's the promise and guarantee that he will return to recreate this world and resurrect his followers to live in it with him for eternity. And this speaks volumes about the value that God places on this world, this ordinary material world and how we should live in it. Theologian N.T. Wright says, the point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we know that this world is not something to be escaped, but something God's going to recreate. And that changes everything about how we live in the present, right here and right now. Think of it like this. Imagine with me two different homes, all right? Two homes. The first one is a house you're renting. You know that when you move out in less than a year, the house is going to be demolished the day you move out. How are you going to live in that house? When the roof starts to go, when there's a broken window, when you need an update to the kitchen, when you need to paint over the ugly teal walls, are you going to put the money and time in doing that? No, of course not. You're renting it. It's going to be demolished. Who cares? It doesn't matter. But now imagine a second home. Instead of renting, you own this home. Instead of moving out in a year, you're going to be living there for decades and decades to come. No end in sight. In that home, when the roof starts to go, 
when the ugly walls needed painted over, when the window breaks, are you going to work to get that home where it needs to be? Yeah, of course. Without the resurrection, it may appear that this world is little more than something to be escaped. It looks like the first house, something we're renting. It's going to be demolished, so it doesn't matter anyway. But instead, the resurrection tells us this world is more like the second home. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits. It's this promise, this promise that we're going to be resurrected to live here with God in the new creation for eternity if we believe in him. It means that this is our home. So we have a responsibility as resurrection people to work for the coming kingdom in the present, in the flesh and blood, right here, right now. That every small act we take that places things closer to the way Jesus will one day recreate them points to the reality of the resurrection. And T. Wright goes on to say, what you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. Jesus' resurrection changes how we live in the present because it changes how we live in this ordinary, everyday body and world. And then third, Jesus' resurrection changes everything because it changes our future. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 57. Talk about Jesus' resurrection. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection defeats death, and it changes our future. The rest of the world is terrified that at some point for every one of us, death is coming. And it will be the ultimate end. But Jesus' resurrection changes our future. When he was raised from the dead, he defeated death and earned for us a new life. 1 Peter 1.3 tells us, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. By defeating death, Jesus' resurrection proves death isn't the end. Death doesn't get the final word. It gives us a hope of a new life, promising us that we too will someday, someday be resurrected to live with God for eternity here in the newly created heavens and earth. As 1 Corinthians 6.14 tells us, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Jesus' resurrection changes everything about our future. He has defeated death. few times in life, we have these curious days that just change everything for us. This day for Peter in John 21 saw a miraculous catch of fish. It saw him jump from a boat in the water to run to Jesus and sit around a charcoal fire to find forgiveness and a mission. For Peter, this day changed everything. But for each one of us, if we believe in Jesus, that Sunday 2,000 years ago, when Jesus defeated death to rise from the grave, that day was one of those days for us. 
One of those days that changed everything. One of those days where we knew that nothing would ever be the same again. Jesus' resurrection changes everything. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, thank you for this morning. Uh, Thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for this story of Peter and, and how often we can just find ourselves in it, Lord. We pray that you would make us people of the resurrection, knowing that you've changed our past, Lord, that you have changes for how we live in the present and, and where we will spend eternity in the future because you were resurrected. You defeated death. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.